Connected to Calgary sports like nobody else. This is the Steinberg Show, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. They score! A great play by Milan Lucic, who picks up his first point as a flame, feeding Sam Bennett, who scores his first goal of the season, and it's 3-1 Flames. Hey, you got to give credit where credit is due. Milan Lucic, pretty darn good last night. And uh, I know it sounds weird because there's no music coming in, some technical difficulties to kick off the program, but that's okay. We got tons to talk about today. I've been critical at times of Lucic's game to start the season. And, you know, I, I actually feel like I've been fairly realistic about what Lucic has been. I think I've been realistic, both good and bad, about what he's brought. And, and hey, I'll, I'll be the first one to say is, as I have been critical and have uh, talked about when he struggled, and there have been games when he struggled. Last night was Lucic's best game as a member of the Calgary Flames. And on top of that, the night that we saw from him last night is how you're going to see him be effective on a more regular basis. And I don't know if if what we saw last night is going to be the norm. I don't know if we're going to see him impact things offensively on a regular basis like that, but how he played last night, how he was used last night is the way to get the most out of him. I think that you got a little bit of a template last night as to how Lucic can be his most effective. Put him in a fourth line role where he's not counted on as much um, and he's not playing against the the opposition on the other side that would have him being counted on as much. And I think it's a better spot for him. If you put him in a in a fourth line role and you let him go and play with a hard forecheck, use that hard forecheck and see if he can create some turnovers and play responsibly defensively, that's that's the template to get the most out of Lucic. Because here are the things that I still feel Lucic does very, very well. Obviously, he's still one of the most intimidating players in the NHL, and not just intimidating because of what he can do when dropping the gloves. Like He absolutely is a heavyweight in this league, and, and I don't know if there are a lot of guys in the NHL that I would point to and say, yeah, that guy is going to beat him one-on-one if you drop the gloves. So he's he's got the intimidation factor from that standpoint, but he also... He also is able to impose while he's on the ice. And just take a look at the goal that was scored last night. Alex Biega had no interest in taking a hit from Lucic at that time. Remember, it was still 2-1. It was still a close game, and the Red Wings were coming off a really good second period, their best period of the game. And Biega, I'm not saying that he should have pulled the shoot, but Biega saw that Lucic train coming at him, and he pulled shoot, was like, no, I do not want to be flattened into the end boards here, and that caused a turnover. Lucic was able to use his Physical, uh, his physical presence to cause a turnover. He fed Sam Bennett, and boom, Bennett scores the goal. So that's how Lucic is going to be the most effective, is if you put him in a little bit of a lower role, and I think the fourth line is probably where he fits best, that's a role where he can be physical, that's a role where he doesn't need to be put out against players on the other side that that might be able to exploit some of the limitations that Lucic has in his game and let him go and and be smart and be physical. The things that he does, as I said, he's intimidating. 
He's physical. And the other thing that Lucic still has as a, as a strength right now, he still has an extremely high hockey IQ. Like This guy is still very smart. He may not be able to do things the same way he did physically in the past, but he's still a very smart player. And you see that with smart, savvy plays in the defensive zone. You see that with some of the reads he makes defensively. I still think that there is a way to make him effective and not have him uh, or not have his struggles underlined or put a spotlight on. I still think there's a way to limit those struggles and put him in a more favorable situation. And I think against teams that aren't as deep like Detroit last night, uh, a perfect example of how to do that. So that was his best game as a member of the Flames. Picks up his first point as a member of the Flames. Here's Lucic on that goal last night that Sam Bennett scored. Getting in on the forecheck and, and winning a battle. And, um, you know, another thing too, uh, Benny getting getting up there and, and, and being in the right spot and, and making it a bang-bang play. So uh, for, for, for both of us... You know, it, 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 at times it's been frustrating here to start the year because we've been working hard and nothing's really been going our way. But you know, uh, it's good to get uh, good to get one there and a big goal uh, to start off the third period. So we've seen the good, we've seen the bad as to what Lucic can be on this team. Last night was the good, and now the Flames have to do what they can to make that a more frequent thing. And we'll see what happens as they go out on a road trip in Los Angeles, in Anaheim, back-to-back tomorrow and Sunday. Lucic with his first goal, first point rather, as a member of the Calgary Flames, and certainly his best game since joining the team. Flames back above 500, 4-3-1 with a 5-1 win over the Detroit Red Wings last night. Hey, welcome to the Steinberg Show. Your texts are welcome at 960-960. would love to hear from you on the Glenn Morati fan feedback text line. Lots to talk about coming out of last night's game. If you want to chime in on the Milan Lucic conversation, feel free. There are plenty of other conversations to chime in on as well because let's talk about that that game last night. Let's talk about it from more of a wider standpoint. It got heated in a rather low-key way. I don't know if you would have suggested that Calgary-Detroit was going to be a overly heated game. Two teams that play in different conferences that don't play on a regular basis. I know there was that game a couple of years ago with the Luke Witkowski, Anthony Mantha, Matthew Kachuk scenario. Yeah, absolutely. But that was a couple of years ago. I didn't expect this game to be overly heated, but it got that way. And I know why it got that way. We all know what happened with Darren Helm and Elias Lindholm, and we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. But this game was a fairly typical October game between two teams from different conferences until the incident in the second period with Andrew Manjapani. And that incident that saw Manjapani go down, smash his head on the boards, that did not sit well with the Calgary Flames. And I don't really blame them. The play was dangerous. So I don't know if you've seen it. It's on our Twitter um, at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Rather, on our Twitter at sportsnet960. Dennis Chalowski clips the skate of Manjapani when Manjapani has his back towards him. Basically, Chalowski coming back into the zone. Manjapani's on the half boards, and his left skate gets clipped by Chalowski's right skate. I don't think there was any intent. I don't think it was necessarily an intentional slew foot, but it's a dangerous play. You've got a guy right on the boards. You've got to be careful. And it's not a kick, but it's a clip, and it knocks Manjapani's legs out from underneath him. There probably should have been a penalty there, and the Flames were not happy, A, there wasn't a penalty called, and B, that the play 
happen and they lost a guy because of a dangerous play that that went undetected again I don't think there was any intent but it was still dangerous and you got to be more responsible when you're on the ice and and that was where I think everything got started and why that game turned from a game between a Western Conference and an Eastern Conference team into one that got a whole lot more chippy and obviously it all boiled over with Darren Helm and Elias Lindholm in the third period but that's that's where I think it all started is with the Chalowski Manjapani situation um, it was dangerous, and I disliked that play way more than I disliked the Helm-Lindholm exchange. What happened between Helm and Lindholm was something that we've seen before, two guys getting frustrated and going after one another. It all started with Darren Helm and Lindholm getting tangled up off the faceoff. Again, Helm kind of kicked a leg out from underneath Lindholm, knocked Lindholm over. Lindholm wasn't happy because there was already a similar play that happened that we just talked about in the second period. So then Lindholm sees red. He goes after Helm not once but twice, hits him once, and then throws his elbow up, doesn't connect. But if he connects with that elbow, we're not talking about what comes next because that would have been a nasty-looking elbow. So Lindholm sees red, and then he almost clips Helm with an elbow. Helm Unhappy about that, he goes after Lindholm and delivers that slash to the back of the leg. Wasn't the hardest slash I've ever seen, but when you deliver a slash like that to a place where there's no equipment, you're going to see the reaction that you saw last night. That that hurt Lindholm in a big way. So no innocent parties on the Lindholm-Helm situation. That was... That one... Yeah, you know, it was a $5,000 fine to, to Helm. That was a dangerous slash. He got the five-minute major on the play. But I disliked that whole exchange a whole lot less than I disliked what happened with Manjapani and Chalowski because that was actually far more dangerous. Um, and there were no innocent parties on the Lindholm-Helm exchange. That's, that's where I come in on the whole conversation. The $5,000 fine, I'm fine with that. Lindholm's going to be fine. Uh, I don't think he's going to miss any time. He, he might miss a game uh, just to get his his uh, bruise a little better. But basically, I think what you're talking about with Lindholm is he didn't get injured on the play. He got hurt on the play. That hurt him. Might be a bruise. Was, might be a stinger, but not going to be something long-term. Whereas with Manjapani, uh, there's a much higher chance that he's going to miss some time, which is a, a little bit more frustrating if you're the Flames. That's kind of where I come down on the whole conversation. Uh, that's why I think it got a little chippy last night, and that's why I think that the Helm-Lindholm situation boiled over the way it did. I really do. So I think Lindholm uh, needs to take a pretty equal share of the blame for that scenario and obviously Helm let it get to a point where he delivered a two-hander to an unprotected area that was a bad slash it should have been a five-minute major I understand the $5,000 fine and had Lindholm gotten hurt like had that been more of a long-term injury we might have been talking about more of a suspension for Helm as well here's what uh, Sam Bennett had to say last night I like this Bennett was our post-game interview uh, on the post-game show last night and I asked him I said hey, what did you make of the Helm Lindholm exchange I thought that this answer was pretty good you know you don't like to see you know any any slashes like that um you know there's 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 no need for that in our in our game so um you know it was great to see Hammer Hammer step up and um, you know, I wish the refs didn't, didn't step in that quickly so Hammer could, uh, you know, let loose a little bit. <laughs> I like that one. I wish the refs didn't step in so Hammer could have let loose a little bit. That is why people love Sam Bennett. Say what you want about the penalties he takes. Say what you want about the frustrating nature of his game sometimes. 
That's why people love Sam Bennett because he uh, he's he's an easy guy to like off the ice. And when he is right, and I thought he was right last night, I thought that was Bennett's one of Bennett's best games of the season, if not his best. He scores his first goal um, when he plays when he plays in straight lines with uh, a physical uh, element to his game and isn't taking unnecessary undisciplined penalties. He's a uh, pretty easy guy to uh, to like, and I love that quote. Yeah, I wish they would have let Hammonick loose a little bit uh, and not gotten involved. Uh, let's get to the Glenn Morati fan feedback text line, 960-960. This reads, it's true, I love Sam Bennett. Um, Pat, do you think it should matter if a guy gets injured or not? Uh, should there be a suspension regardless? Um, I believe that the injury or or the outcome is factored too much into the way the NHL goes about their business with supplemental discipline. I think there are times that it's still a dangerous play, and just because a guy doesn't get hurt doesn't mean there shouldn't be supplemental discipline. Like I've seen far more dangerous hits that haven't resulted in serious injury that the league just shrugs their shoulders and says move on as opposed to far more borderline-looking plays that have suspensions or fines attached to them because they're an injury. I, uh, there's an injury. I think that the injury is tied too much to the punishment sometimes. In this case, I don't mind the fine, but a lot of times, to that texter's point, I do think that the injury is tied too much to the punishment. Uh, this reads, Chalowski needs to learn how to skate. That's the same type of incident that took Kachuk out for the rest of the season in 2008. Uh, that comes from Mike. This, Lindholm and Helm both made dirty plays. Neither's really hurt. Call it a wash. That's where I am on the play. That's why I, I am far more... Um, I, I disliked far more the Manjapani situation than the Lindholm one. I, I think the Lindholm-Helm one is a wash and we can move on. Uh, on the Lucic front, while I agree Lucic played his best game so far this year, I still think his physical presence on the team is way overstated. Just last night, Manjapani got slew-footed and Helm had his thing with Lindholm. Granted, Lindholm pretty much had that slash coming, but the point is nobody on Detroit seemed to be too concerned or scared to go after any Flames players. Yes and no. The intimidation side of things... Yeah, because the Red Wings don't really have anybody that's going to drop the gloves with Lucic. So that part of it was was perhaps overstated last night. But what he does on the ice, especially when going up against third, fourth-line players and third-pair defenders on the other side, his physical presence can still lead to things on the ice. And I think you saw that last night. Look, I am I I, I believe I'm pretty realistic on the Lucic front. I think Lucic has some severe limitations on the ice, and if you don't put him in a spot to limit or or, or to um, kind of hide those limitations, then he can be exploited, especially by deep teams and speedy teams. The Red Wings aren't as deep as San Jose or Dallas or uh, or Vegas, so easier or or more difficult for them to exploit, rather, especially with the Red Wings on the road. I believe there are absolutely limitations, big-time limitations, in Lucic's game, but I still think that there are areas that are strengths for him, and those areas are his physicality, his his intimidation, and the fact that he is still a very smart savvy player and makes some pretty subtle, important plays in the defensive zone. That's why I say, look, everybody understands that the contract's bad and everybody understands that there are going to be struggles at times, especially uh, especially against deeper and better teams. However, if you can get more of good Lucic, 
then I think it's going to look a whole lot better and people are going to be a whole lot better with this trade. Uh, this reads, hockey's a game of inches and Lucic causes flinches. Cause an opponent to flinch, you get space to make a play. That's where reputation can give you breaks others won't get. Uh, this, I've been quietly impressed by Lucic's passing. Nifty passes and good at receiving them and at puck retrieval. More than what Neil gave the Flames last year, so I've been impressed. Can't wait to see him score. Um, <laughs> from Luke, Lucic's intimidation is overrated. Someone check Biega's shorts. Yeah, they might need to go in the wash after that. That and somebody... Here's what you do know. His parachute worked. That thing worked perfectly. B.A. Like, they didn't need the reserve chute for Biega last night. Like, he pulled that ripcord, and that parachute deployed instantly. He is safely on the ground now. You know how, like, some people, when they jump out of airplanes, I have no idea. I've never skydived before, but I believe that, like, you know, the, the more experienced skydiver will jump out of the plane, and they'll free fall for a little bit, and then they'll pull their chute. Like, they'll get to do the the aerial tricks and the rolls and all. Then they pull their chute. Biega was a first-time skydiver. He jumped out of that airplane, and poof, there's the there's the parachute. Lot of a uh, lot of gliding time for for Biega last night. Um, what else we got here at nine six zero nine six zero? Pat, you're bang on. The situation with Mange far more dangerous, and there should be repercussions depending on how much time he misses. Um, this I agree. Both guys are to blame, but do you think the refs have a responsibility to step in on a Lindholm Helm situation? They waited until a player was crumpled to blow the whistle. Yeah, they probably could have curbed that before it got to that point. Um. What else we got here at 960960? Uh, this from Mike, uh, this uh, text says, Mike Commodore made a good point on the morning show. Helm has had problems with concussions and probably saw his career flash in front of him with the missed elbow. Absolutely. Look, I get it from both sides. Lucic was pissed off because one of his players got clipped by a borderline slew foot earlier in the game. Then there was another borderline slew foot, intentional or not. And I don't think Helm intended to, but it was still dangerous. So Lindholm's pissed about that. Then he goes after Helm, and then Helm almost gets an elbow to the mush, and he goes after Lindholm. Like, no innocent parties on that one. Um, this, uh, thank you for pointing out the infractions on both sides. I was at the game last night and was upset, but not surprised that the replay shown on the scoreboard only showed the, um, only showed the slash. As a Red Wing fan, I agree with the five in a game and the fine. However, Lindholm going at Helm's head when Helm has a history of concussions should be looked at. Um, <laughs> and this one, Pat, you're really working to make that parachute analogy stick. Yeah, it's true. I am. I, I really worked hard on that. Final thought of the uh, of the first segment today on the Steinberg Show. The injury situation is a little up in the air right now. So Lindholm's situation, I can tell you, not serious. As I said, hurt, not injured. I'm, I'm not expecting him to miss much time at all, if any at all. The slash didn't feel good, clearly. He was not embellishing what happened. That hurt him bad, but it didn't injure him and that's the good news and there might be a bruise might have been a stinger whatever the case just a pain in the ass more than anything else so I think that uh, I, I don't think you need to worry about the Lucic situation everything I've been led to believe is that he'll be fine Manjapani a little different sounds like he could miss some time very woozy after the uh, after that altercation or that the um, the collision with the boards um, he looked woozy after smashing his head into the board, so I guess you can draw your own conclusions as to what we're talking about. The interesting thing is, from a flame standpoint, is they don't really have a lot of wiggle room right now to recall somebody. So Majapani, let, let's say Majapani misses four or five games here, which I think is a possibility. Majapani misses some time. Well, I don't think they're going to be recalling anybody because... Flames have next to no cap space available right now. They're at $150,000 on their cap space right now. 
even if they put Manjapani on IR, that doesn't take him off their cap and still counts against their upper limit. So the only feasible thing the Flames could do if they really felt they needed an extra forward, and maybe they do, maybe they do come Sunday in Anaheim, the only thing they can do is temporarily send Shillington to the American League because he doesn't need waivers, and that'll open up space for them to recall a Quine or recall a Dubé. So as of right now, I don't expect there to be a recall. Let's just assume, for sake of this conversation, Lindholm plays tomorrow, Mangiapane does not play tomorrow. If that's the case, don't expect a recall. Expect Reader in, and for them to have no extra forwards, they'll go with 12 there. Now, if Bill Peters and the coaching staff want to make a change for Sunday in Anaheim, or if another forward gets hurt, that's where they would maybe have to go with the Shillington to the American League, then recall a forward to open up the cap space. But until or unless you dip into LTIR, which the Flames do not really want to do right now, you still have to be cap compliant, even if injuries play into it. And with $150,000 of cap space, doesn't give you a whole lot of wiggle room on your cap. So keep an eye on that. Again, Lindholm doesn't sound to be serious at all. You're probably not looking at much, if any, time missed for Lindholm. A little bit more up in the air far greater probability that Manjapani misses some time after what happened last night. We'll keep an eye on that as things go along. Good work on the Glenn Morati fan feedback text line, by the way. You can always text in at 960-960. It's time to fall for Audi. Get savings up to $6,500 with lease and finance rates starting at just 1.9%. Visit glenmoreaudi.com. Good first segment. More of your text a little bit later on. Plus, we got some Flames tickets to give away later this hour. Stay with us. Let's get you set for Week 19 in the CFL. It starts tonight. Lots to delve into Around the Corner. Steinberg Show underway. Happy Friday. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to the Steinberg Show. Week 19 of the CFL season starts tonight. We are winding down. Three more weeks of regular season play before it's all about the postseason. Huge game tomorrow at McMahon Stadium. That's how we'll close things off with our CFL insider Jeff Craver from CFL.ca. We will open things up with how Week 19 opens tonight. Montreal at home to Toronto. And what what I find interesting, Mr. Creever, is uh, what Kahari Jones is doing here, resting one of his most important players, John Bowman. We know where the Alouettes are going to finish, number two in the East Division. Y- your thoughts, because it sounds like Jones might be resting some different players between now and the end of the regular season. Do you like this call, resting Bowman, and that philosophy as a whole? Yeah, I like it. And we've talked about this idea of load management in the past, although uh, our conversations were mostly about Andrew Harris and and the workload of a veteran running back. But that that term has kind of caught on ever since the Kawhi Leonard stuff with the Toronto Raptors. uh, But it's not new in football. It's something that coaches have had in training staffs in their mind for, for quite a while now. And it makes a lot of sense for a team that is, the Alouettes can't finish any higher or lower in the standings. They know they're hosting a playoff game uh, in, in November, and it's going to be the Eastern semifinal. So they know their their opponent, if they win, their opponent, the Ticats, is going to have that bye week going into that game. So why not try and take advantage of the last few weeks and be a little strategic in the way you rest some guys? So to me, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. You avoid injuries. You have guys getting fresh. And, and uh, I think it's a strategy that, 
for teams that don't have a lot to play for right now, we should be seeing this from the Ticats in the next few weeks as well. Yeah, you think that because we know how the East Division is going to finish. Ticats one, Owls two, and uh, those are the only two playoff teams in the East Division this year. So you think those two teams, because of their scenarios, might be in that type of that mindset right now? Yeah, right, for sure. And it's an advantage for them because you look in the West and you have four teams kind of scrapping it out right now. Uh, including the Eskimos, who, yeah, they're in the playoffs, but um, mathematically they still have a chance to move up. We're not 100% uh, sure yet on who's crossing over, uh, but three teams going for first place in that West. And uh, I tell you that whoever loses that fight, that that third-place team that ends up having to go on the road, they they could be pretty beat up going into the playoffs. So uh, the two teams in the East, it's, it's a nice advantage to have because you can sort of, take a far more strategic approach and it doesn't mean sitting everybody out for all your remaining games because you got to find that balance and you want to stay sharp as well and and we've seen players and teams with too much of a layoff it works against them but uh you know the guys that need the rest and that are a little bit beaten up and are a little bit older uh give them some time off and and get ready for for really the the most important game of your season because that's what it all comes down to this is a very large overarching question and it might uh give you a little bit of time to give you a magnus opus response but you've got three teams playing this week you've got bc you've got toronto and you've got ottawa and not one of those teams has anything to play for in terms of the standings focus now for them is 2020 what is what is the motivation or what are these teams trying to accomplish going down the stretch here goodness yeah i mean i think for all three of those teams it's trying to find some semblance of what your lineup's going to look like next year, uh, what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. And this is a time of year where you're playing meaningless football in the standings. You can start to uncover some of these other players on your roster um, that maybe you don't know a whole lot about. Um, you know, the Argos, all the talk is on the quarterback situation. They can have an opportunity to look at some of their other guys too. They know what they have in McLeod Bethel Thompson. Uh, maybe he's a guy that you bring back next year, but what do they have uh, in the Canadian quarterback? They have Michael O'Connor. Um, what do they have in Dakota Prukop, who we saw a little bit of? He's been with the team for a few years now. They develop him, him, but we have we've barely seen him in game action. Um, the same thing goes in BC. What do they have in Danny O'Brien? Uh, some of these defensive players uh, that that, that Ed Hervey has a chance to evaluate. It's basically like an extended training camp, right? Because you're getting an opportunity to see all of these guys in game action uh, for a few weeks before making some of these decisions in the offseason. So that that is one advantage uh, that these teams do have going into next year over some of the teams that are playing to win now. Jeff Cravers with us, our CFL insider from CFL.ca, joins us Fridays as we get set for Week 19 of the CFL season. Opens tonight, Montreal uh, and Toronto. Let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Those are the teams that don't have anything to play for, but uh, there are teams with plenty to play for. Saskatchewan and BC tonight. Lions don't. Riders do. They still have their eyes set on first place in the West Division. You're taking on a Lions team. If you're Saskatchewan, this is... This has got to be looked at from the outside as a must-win, right? It is, 100%. And if not, uh, then you can start talking about possibly uh, even a third-place finish, which is the worst possible outcome for the Riders. They need to at least secure a home playoff game. 
whoever that's going to be against. You have Calgary and Winnipeg going home and home. Uh, you figure they're going to beat each other up quite a bit. That's going to be some physical football uh, the next couple of weeks, and, and both of those teams are dealing with some injuries. So for the Riders, at, you know, maybe a division title. Maybe it's not in the cards. Maybe it is. But uh, a team like BC, the Lions don't have Mike Riley. Uh, yeah, they got on a little bit of a roll previously, but that's a very beatable team. And, and I expect the Riders to go in there and take an early lead and, and take care of business because I don't know what we have uh, in Danny O'Brien. Uh, but that defense should have their way uh, with the Lions in that game. And I really like what the Riders' offense can do as well. I want to see them bounce back after that game against Calgary. So uh, must win. I mean, uh, yeah, as far as you could say must win for sure, I'd be there. Well, and if you're the Riders, I know that they lost that game to the Stampeders, but, I mean, that was a close game. It went back and forth. Riders could very well have won that football game. I know that the result's a pain, but if you're Sask, you, you probably are feeling pretty good about what your, where your game is right now. Well, our simulation actually still has them. You can see it on CFL.ca. We run the numbers every week. But uh, it still has the riders with the best odds uh, to win the West, So even after last week's loss. So, I mean, uh, perhaps it's not all that surprising with how well the riders have played. They're good on both sides of the ball. Uh, we know that Calgary has some injuries. Don Jackson, uh, the latest, uh, the Stamps, they've really had issues at running back this year. They can't oh, yeah. seem to run the ball like they used to. And I don't know. The riders just seem like the most complete team right now in the CFL because they do everything well. Their, their pass rush is outstanding, led by Charleston Hughes. Uh, they stop the run. Uh, even with Micah Johnson and, and Zach Evans being out, they've got some guys in there that can plug those holes and get some pressure in the middle. Um, their, their defensive backs are just so athletic. I mean, you talk about winning a great cup, you got to be able to throw the football. It, it's really tough to throw the football against that Riders defense. I, I don't know. It, to me, this if I had to pick one team... I'm never going to count out Bo Levi Mitchell. I think the Stamps have the edge there, but I still think the Riders as a whole are the most complete team out there right now. Let's talk about that game between Calgary and Winnipeg. Got Jeff Creever with us from CFL.ca. That is the marquee Week 19 matchup. It's the only game between two playoff teams, and it's the start of a home-and-home. Home. Uh, you mentioned no Jackson, no Trey Roberson either for the Calgary Stampeders, both in the one game. How, how does this play out for you, Winnipeg in Calgary on the first half of a home-and-home home set? Well, that's it comes down to the the ground game and, and talking about Winnipeg and you know, you guys kinda wrote about it on, on the Berg versus Berg this week where you and, and Marsh debate uh about the topic and the bombers have an unconventional attack. They run the ball so well, they stop the ball uh, they stop the run so well and, and teams don't traditionally win Grey Cups with that formula. So uh doing it against the Stampeders, we're gonna see kind of how that stands up. Can you win important games late in the season in the CFL uh, with a non-traditional uh, attack. And you're talking about Andrew Harris, uh, Chris Strebler running the football a lot, uh, playing keep away, keep the ball out of Bo Levi Mitchell's hands. And, hey, Chris Strebler is going to have to make a few plays with his arm too. I like the chemistry he's shown uh, with Rasheed Bailey there. Uh, I like some of the receivers they've got, even though they've been underutilized this year in Winnipeg. And, and this, is a, this is a time for Paul LaPolice to not really shy away from his young quarterback, but to have him grow a little bit. Because, hey, Zach Caleros is there. He's going to be putting on the pressure. They need Chris Strebler to really step up this week. So that, that's what I'm really interested in uh, in this football game. Is, uh, the Bombers, that formula that they've had so far, um, well, they've, they've only won three games since Matt Nichols got hurt. Can they find a way 
uh, to win the way that they're doing it right now. I was the uh, negative Nelly, by the way, on Berg versus yeah. Berg this week. I said no, and I, I, I find it hard to believe that Winnipeg could beat one, uh, could beat one or both of Saskatchewan and Calgary, and then win a Grey Cup with the way that they're rolling their offense right now. I mean, we've seen Streveler throw for over 300 yards just once since he took over from Matt Nichols. He's got a not very pretty touch uh, touchdown to interception ratio through the air and. Going up against elite defenses like those of the Riders and the Stampeders, and then maybe Hamilton or Montreal or Edmonton or whoever they'd face in a potential Grey Cup. Like, it just, I don't know if you can win two or three games against teams of that caliber in a more one dimensional offense. And that's with full understanding that Streveler is an incredible athlete and extremely difficult to bring down. And Andrew Harris is the best running back in the CFL. But if, if you can neutralize that passing game like it has been and focus in and key in on that run game, I just, I just feel like it's a difficult task for the Bombers to overcome. Yeah, you can win games like that in the NFL with that smash mouth football pick up three or four yards of play and, and grit one out. It's really tough to do when you only have three downs because especially if you're not getting that production on first down, you're having to make completions on second down. And uh, Chris Strebler, the, the completion percentage just isn't there. And the teams that are successful right now, they're completing passes at a clip of 70% or above. And we're not seeing that kind of efficiency from the Bombers offense and teams are keying in on, on Strebler and his legs. We saw it with the Hamilton Tiger Cats a few weeks ago when the Tiger Cats went into Winnipeg and they dominated that game in Winnipeg. And the key to that was they took away the run. They said, Hey, if you're going to beat us, Chris Strebler, you're going to have to do it with your arm. And so far Strebler just hasn't shown the ability to do that. Uh, and if they're not picking up the yards that they need on first down to put themselves in second and short, Hey, on second and short, it's really, really hard to stop the Bombers. There's no doubt about that. But we're not seeing enough of those situations. So, yeah, you can you can see a team, hey, maybe in the playoffs they could pull one out. You start talking about two or three games in a row and winning a Grey Cup, Yeah, that's going to be really, really difficult. Jeff Creever is with us from CFL.ca. Final thought, uh, we both went tie cats on our locks of the week on the CFL Fantasy Podcast. If you're playing CFL Fantasy, Hamilton's got Ottawa tomorrow. Uh, I've got Dane Evans, the quarterback, as my lock of the week. You've got Terrell Sutton as your lock of the week. Uh, it, it's a favorable matchup to play Ticats this week. It is, but you know what? I'm having a tough time this week, a really tough time. I hate this week. I, matchups. I, yeah. I, I, I hate this week. I, I think yeah. I'm going to finish last in our little trio on the podcast. I'm quite confident. You've been winning the whole year. I know. I think I'm going to completely tank it down the stretch here. Oh, that's, yeah, well, that's confidence right there. But I, you know what? Reverse psychology, baby. <laughs> you're the reverse jinx. You're yeah. trying to reverse jinx yourself. I see what you're doing. It's not going to work. Uh, the, I mean, I love the Alouettes this week. I love the Riders this week. And I love the Ticats this week. And choosing between players from those three teams is pretty difficult because uh, I think you're going to have a lot of really big fantasy producers from those three teams. But yeah, Tyrell Sutton's my lock. I got a few Ticats in my lineup. Uh, and I, I think yeah, we've seen teams have a lot of success against the Red Blacks recently. So you, you definitely can't go wrong uh, loading up on Hamilton Tiger Cats this week. That's for sure. Thanks, Craver. Enjoy week 19. We'll talk to you next week. 
Thanks, Pat. Talk to you then. Jeff Creever from CFL.ca. He's our uh, CFL insider on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline. The same secret recipe since 1975 for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344 and find them at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Uh, I have got a pair of Flames tickets to give away if you would like to enter in on the text line at 960-960. Flames, Panthers, October 24th. This is the last game before the Heritage Classic. So next Thursday, Flames Panthers at uh, 960-960. Here is the deal. Um, I've got a trivia question for you. you got to be the first one through with the right answer, and you have to uh, have your first and last name on the text. So first and last name on the text, and make sure you've got the right answer so you can be the first one through. We talked yesterday about a pair of Red Wings players who played their minor hockey in Calgary. There's a L.A. Kings player who played his minor hockey in Calgary. Who is it? 960-960. First one through with their first and last name is going to win a pair of tickets to Thursday's game between the Flames and the Florida Panthers. We'll give you the answer around the corner. No, Mr. Pinder, it is uh, not Anze Kopitar. Valiant guest. Valiant guest. He sounds like he's from Calgary, uh, but from Slovenia. Can, can confirm. Steinberg Show continues next, right beside Italy. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Time to turn up the heat. These are three burning questions on the Steinberg Show. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Riley Pollock. What's up, bud? Oh, not much. Just uh, excited to be here. Got a cute voice. What do we got on our uh, three burning questions today? <laughs> uh, we'll start my, with... I live my life to make Pinder and others uncomfortable. It's just, it's <laughs> what I do. I'm used to it by now. I know you are. Um, we'll start with the Flames. I think that's a good place to start. Uh, if Mange or Lindholm, probably more likely Mange, do miss time, who is first on your list to get the call-up from Stockton to replace him or them? It's a good question, Riley, because my answer would be very complicated. Uh, if Mangiapane misses time, they don't have any cap space to recall anybody as of right now. My answer would be Quine or Dubé. However, they have to get creative. If they really, right now they've got 12 forwards, so they're not into an emergency situation. Reader will come into the lineup tomorrow if Manjapani can't play, and you go from there. Now, if the Flames want to make a lineup change for Sunday in Anaheim, or if they run into another injury situation, they would have to send Oliver Shillington to the American Hockey League to open up cap space to make a recall. So my read on the situation is, yeah, decent chance Manjapani misses games, A. B, probably not an immediate recall for tomorrow. Maybe something with uh, some shuffling of the deck for Sunday, depending on how things go against the LA Kings. Uh, so the answer is Dubé or Quine. But the problem is they don't have the cap space to do it. They've only got $150,000 of cap space right now. They need more than 700000 to call up Dubé or Quine. Even if you put a player on IR, even if they put Manjapani on IR, you still have to be cap compliant, and he would still count on their upper limit. So that is the, uh, that is the long and short of my answer. It's a complicated answer right now because of Calgary's lack of cap flexibility. All right, shifting to the CFL. Week 19 of the season starts tonight with a doubleheader. Toronto and Montreal at 5. Riders in Vancouver playing the Lions at 8. But my question is more so between the Stamps and Riders. Do you think the Stamps 
are the front runners to win the West, or do you think that the riders who have an easier schedule to finish the season have a better chance of taking top spot? Well, I think that both have destiny in their hands. That's the good news for the Stampeders, and they've got the tie break. So if the Stamps win all three of their games, they're guaranteed first place. Um, that is the good news. However, I mean, they've got a home-and-home home with the Bombers, and there's no guarantee they're going to win all three games. That's a difficult ask. Um, I do think the Stampeders are in the driver's seat, but I think Saskatchewan still got a very good chance because their schedule is easier. BC and then two against Edmonton. And and a decent chance the Eskimos don't go uh, full-on lineups in those two games because they're not really playing for anything. They know that they're going to Montreal for the East Division semis. So I think that Calgary's in the driver's seat because they truly control their own destiny. But in saying that, the Riders do have the uh, easier schedule. I would say 55-45 is where I lean that Calgary's got the better chance. All right. Yeah, I uh, as long as it's Calgary and the Riders in the West Final, I'm uh, happy with that because I think that they've played an unreal game a couple or last weekend, and uh, I think we'll be deprived of a great game if Winnipeg somehow beats one of them in the West Semi. Yes, I agree. I would love to see Calgary Sask, whether it's at Mosaic or at McMahon. Give me one more between those two this year. All right. Finally. Patrick Mahomes doesn't look to be too seriously injured. I'm hearing he'll be out at least three weeks. In those three weeks, Casey plays Green Bay, Minnesota, and Tennessee. If Mahomes is out for all three of those games, do you think Matt Moore can win any of them? Oh, well, I mean, he stepped in. They still won 30-6 to yesterday, so I think there's a chance. Um, that defense, from, you got to play Phillip Lindsay. You got to play Royce Freeman. They're going to tear up the Kansas City defense. Didn't work. Um, that was not so great. I was so angry at the Philip. I was like, Philip Lindsay must start. I got him in both my lineups. Yeah. Wrong. Uh, didn't work so well. 30 plus yards. Nothing. Thanks, Phil. I also had Mahomes last night. It was a disastrous fantasy day for me yesterday. Um, but in saying that, yeah, I think they can still win. It's going to be a whole lot more difficult. The most important news is that this is not a major thing for Patrick Mahomes. It's not the worst case scenario. Kansas City has got to be breathing a huge sigh of relief. Yeah, and just coming down the wire on the injury thing here, uh, Elvin Kamara has been ruled out this week, so that ruins two of my three fantasy leagues. Fantasy football. Good times. It is the most enjoyable, yet least enjoyable thing that I do in my life. Like, it, there's no reason why these human beings that I'll never meet or interact with cause me this much stress on a weekly basis. Like, I need more stress in my life. Uh, that is, uh, what's that? Yeah, Pinder says, don't have kids. Don't worry, I don't plan to. Um, that is our three burning questions on this Friday from our Basement Systems downtown studio. Uh, don't forget, Flames, LA Kings tomorrow. Uh, I'm expecting Andrew Mangiapane not to play in that game. Uh, however, Elias Lindholm is a much better chance to play in that game tomorrow. Uh, tune into Boomer in the morning for Hey Did You Know, brought to you by Switch Advanced Lighting Solutions. Did you know that if Albertans switched all their lighting to LED, they would reduce their CO2 emissions by 1.9 million metric tons per year? Switchlighting.ca. Flames at some potential complications coming from last night's win over Detroit. We'll expand on that as Pinder and Steinberg kicks off in minutes. Sportsnet 960, the fan.